what is Satoshi's hierarchy of needs? You're going to find out in this episode. But first, what is up, you beautiful people? Welcome back to the Built on Bitcoin podcast, where we cover all innovation happening across the Bitcoin ecosystem. Usually talk directly to the builders who are building cool stuff, making Bitcoin more productive and useful. And I talk with my hands. That's what we do here. So I have a fantastic episode today with one of my personal favorite Bitcoiners, Edon Yago. He's an OG Bitcoiner, been through pretty much every single halving cycle to date. He's a core contributor at Sovereign, which is a DeFi protocol built on Rootstock. And we cover a ton in this episode. We started talking about the kind of role of money, which is underexplored, which started from a different question I asked, but it actually ended up being a fantastic answer that I found super interesting. We talk about Bitcoin culture and really the mindset of the Bitcoin only crowd and why they act the way they act. We talk about stable coins and their role and what they're building at Sovereign, what think of that Sovereign dollar. And he has this really, really interesting uh, closing thoughts that's really practical for how to onboard people into Bitcoin and how individuals should kind of like progressively step themselves into using Bitcoin. So great episode. I love this one and I think you will as well. So without further ado, let me present this episode with Edon Yago. Welcome to Built on Bitcoin. Yago, how you doing, dear, my man? How are you? Good to be on the show. I'm fantastic. This is an exciting one for me. I got a just to just to uh, you know fangirl for one one and a half seconds. This one is special for me because start this podcast. You see all these Bitcoiners there, just like been here forever. Uh, you know, been on the podcast circuit, and it's like get to talk to them seems like unattainable. And two of the people that were like on my on my high list of people I respect is Munib and you. And so this one's definitely like as as I've watched you through different things, the the way that you Bitcoin, if you will, resonates heavily with, with how I would want to be. So uh that's just a preamble for saying this is exciting for me and uh welcome to the show. Well, thank you very much. So um I guess to start it off, I was doing a little bit of research on some past podcasts you did and there was one you did with pomp a couple years ago and there was one line that stuck out and it, it's simple and like if you're a bitcoin you're like yeah that makes sense but i think there's there's, there's depth behind it that i want to explore a little bit and so you said we don't just want to change money we want to change the way money is used and so i'm curious when you said that like what what do you mean when you say that line well here's the thing about money right um what are, yeah, there's a lot of things people say about money. And one of the um, most famous things that people say about money is that money is the root of all evil. And in a way, I think Bitcoiners believe that maybe more than most people, right? Uh, even though we are hyper interested in free markets and we believe in property and we believe in capitalism, uh, we do believe that money is the root of evil when money is evil. And the reason for that is because money is 
it's um it's a very interesting technology because money is the transmission system of trust within our society it's the intersocietal uh, transmission of trust right it's basically the 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 way that um you trust your society and in particular how much you can trust the future because when somebody gives you like a little piece of paper or a digital whatever right the eth kind of thing right uh in return for your hard work or something you built or food you grew that's an absurd thing and the only reason it works is because you trust that the value inherent there is going to be honored by society and is going to be honored and available in the future and so when that curdles when that trust begins to break down the first people the first place people feel that is in their pockets in other words the first place you sense that something's going wrong with society where something's going wrong with the future is in your wallet and and because of the kill your kill the messenger kind of bias that people have as a result they think that what's going wrong is the money but the money is the sensor and so um when we think of money we need to be thinking about it in those terms and that's why or it's one of the reasons that bitcoin is such an important thing but within the bitcoin space we have a problem we have a problem that most bitcoiners and especially the maxi bitcoiners seem to have a very shallow understanding of what money is they tends to refer to money as something that you use for payments or they'll talk about money maybe as something that you use for savings like you know they'll talk about individual savings or they'll talk about like a country and it's you know and and it's reserve money right the reserve asset but in practice savings and payments are a very very small part they're the minority part of the ways in which we use money in society the primary ways that we use money in society are financial activity all right or what we would recognize this financial activity um people don't save money people invest money you know everyone has savings that's sort of like the rainy day stuff that you keep in the bank but most people who have any significant uh, uh, uh wealth they're not keeping it in savings they're investing it people uh use money for debt right so if you think about most houses that most people this is trillions of dollars of value uh most people don't own houses they own a claim to a house right and they're paying money on a monthly basis to pay down that mortgage that's a use of money money is used in international trade and commerce uh and so money is investment it's debt it's trade and those are the primary things that um that drive society that build a better future and that impact the well-being the 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 wealth and the self-sovereignty of individuals not payments payments is sort of like again it's like kill the messenger it's like well what you see but it's not the deep stuff and so when we think about bringing bitcoin into being money and when we think about taking this idea of taking the uncensorable permissionless incorruptibility of bitcoin into the wider realm of society those are the things that we need to focus on and so it's really you know things like defi things like property rights things like borrowing and lending 
that are going to be the ultimate drivers of the impact that Bitcoin can have in society and the degree to which Bitcoin itself can become money. Got it. I'm curious. You opened up a big can of worms there, so I'm trying to see what's the next. It is a big can of worms, yeah. There's so, I mean, we could spend the next half hour just talking about this stuff. But I guess I, I, I want to keep it in like a practical stance. And my, one of my big focuses is how do we actually attract the next wave of Bitcoiners? And it's really hard when you start talking to normies and they just don't. They're like, isn't that way down right now? It's a bad investment, right? Like things like this. And the one that's really shocked me is most people don't think about money. Just full stop. Like... Most people in America are living paycheck to paycheck statistically, so like they're just trying to make sure they got enough money to pay their bills. Um, so they don't think long term. So that's one, um, which is one of the big benefits to Bitcoin. It's like number go up, deflationary, these things. Uh, right. So kind of in this context where like you're saying, money is a transmission of trust, and we think it's just payments and savings. Like it's not a bank account. I go buy the Starbucks coffee, but it's these bigger elements of investing debt or trade i'm curious like how do we how do we make that practical to like start to plant seeds if we will to the normie who's just used to i get my my payroll check and i spend my money and I, you don't think of, unless you're an investor you just don't think about these things like the the role of money how the government's influencing it it's it's, it's way 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 back so, like in your experience, have you yeah. found ways to 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 bridge the chasm and make it resonate, or is it just like a it's it's a journey of a thousand steps trying to get them over the hump? Well, I think I've convinced a lot of people over the years uh, that they should hold Bitcoin, um, and you know, I think the way that I've done that is by explaining my view on why Bitcoin is important why Bitcoin is a game changer and why Bitcoin will be incredibly valuable in the future. And so for most people, they, the vast majority of people who have Bitcoin and who are, who purchase Bitcoin are doing it with this sort of view that they're going to buy money, buy Bitcoin now. It's going to be worth three or four times as much in six months. And then they're going to sell and they're going to be extremely clever. And then what invariably happens is they think about doing it and think about doing it and think about doing it. And then they buy, uh, because things have, you know, they've been thinking about it for a while and things have become, the, the price is shooting up and they're worried that if they don't buy now, they'll never be able to do the, 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 the three X in six months. And so they buy at the top because that's why they've been hearing about it now. Right. And it's why they've been hit by the FOMO. And then they get stuck into this bear market, which they have to live through for, uh, you know, two or three years. And, um, you know, either they become disillusioned or, uh, and I, I don't know if this is the majority or minority. My, in my experience, it's the majority, but that's maybe because, you know, I'm talking to them, right? And, and sort of helping them through, you know, the birthing process of becoming a hodler. But... Um, but you know, those who survive, they come out stronger and and um, and and more convicted, uh, you know, in the, in their belief of Bitcoin. But I don't think that's the path to mass adoption. Um, and the reason is, 
look, what are people doing? Like, when we talk about mass adoption, what do we even mean? Do we want every person in the world using Bitcoin for it to be considered mass adoption? Do we want people using Bitcoin-like services? Do we want, um, you know, significant adoption by the corporate and, you know, institutional world? What What is adoption? Because the vast majority of people don't do savings and investment very much, right? They have, an uh, you know, some kind of retirement account, usually mandated by the government. They have maybe some social security, usually mandated by the government. And they have a mortgage, which is encouraged by the government. But the sad truth of it is that people are not financially sovereign and they don't make much effort to be that. So for me, it's much more a question of how do we build an economy around Bitcoin? Because I think the only way that everyone gets introduced to Bitcoin and that we um, create a wide envelope of adoption for Bitcoin, we create many, many layers of decentralization, strengthening, you know, defense in layers for Bitcoin, and we create a world in which people who are financially sovereign don't need to live like some kind of fugitive or in the shadows or try to be off-grid mountain men, right, in order to be sovereign. But it's just so easy to use Bitcoin that those of us, you know, people who are listening to this podcast, who actually are taking this seriously, we get the full benefit of Bitcoin, right? And for that, the only path to that is building a world on Bitcoin, building an economy on Bitcoin. And so that's uh, what I've been focused on, um, I think, from the beginning, uh, you know, throughout the 10 or 12 years that I've been engaged in Bitcoin. And in particular, over the last few years that I've been engaged with Sovereign. Got it. Okay. Uh, can you place me real quick? How many cycles have you been through? I think this will be my fourth halving. Uh, let's see. Uh, I don't know how many. I've been through all of them, basically. <laughs> <laughs> got it. Okay. I mean, the reason I ask is because uh, this is my first. And as I got in at the the kind of like the hype, the peak of the other hype cycle, uh, there is like the, you're hyped that you have like disillusionment. And then now I'm just kind of like numb. Like it's a weird, you just keep working. You, you just keep, you still believe in the purpose. You just keep going forward. Um, and I, that seems like that's, that's just the way it's going to be. But one that has struck me that I'm still working through is that narratives pop up and sometimes they feel very hot. Like it, this is, this is the thing we're discussing right now. It's the block size wars. Now is the time to push through drive trains again, like whatever it is. And um, I've also become more numb to that where it's like, no, this is just going to, it's going to peak a little bit and then it's going to die out and it's going to peak a little bit and it's going to die out. But one that's been interesting is, is the term DeFi. It means many things, but on Bitcoin, uh, there's a certain subset that hate the word. And I don't, Maybe I just haven't been here long enough. I don't understand why, because it seems, at least like the ethos-wise, like a perfect match for Bitcoin. Like DeFi, these protocols that can't be stopped, they seem perfect for, if you can get BTC deployed in those protocols, that's a super positive for the Bitcoin economy. So I don't understand why some of the Bitcoin purist crowds are so resistant to DeFi. Like, what's your... What do I, I mean, I, 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 I've thought about this a lot and I can get deep into the psychology of why this happens. But the bottom line is this. 
um, they there's what I don't even call them the Bitcoin Mexican crowd. They're the Bitcoin only crowd. And what is what is a Bitcoin only person? Right, Bitcoin only person doesn't want to see any other asset besides Bitcoin, and they see any other asset besides Bitcoin as a threat, and in particular any kind of crypto asset because the crypto assets are the most similar to Bitcoin and the most capable of fulfilling the function of Bitcoin. You know, being able to move across borders, being um, programmatic, uh, you know, potentially having features that, you know, there's this sort of idea of like digital gold with a, with a, with a teleporter, right? You know, they can do that with any cryptocurrency. So they get very jealous and, and they get very nervous. And the reason they get so jealous and they're nervous and, and nervous is because in their view, uh, the reason that Bitcoin's going to succeed, or the only reason it could possibly succeed, is because everyone will realize that it is the best asset and will switch to it. And honestly, I find it very, you know, it, 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 they talk about this as if it is inevitable. In fact, the word they use is inevitable. But I can't even imagine a scenario in which that plays out. Um or I'd need to struggle to imagine a realistic scenario where that would play out. Um, but regardless of whether it's realistic or not, their concern is that something like ETH or something like, you know, I don't know, uh, any other token is is a risk because, you know, if, if, if the uh, crypto, total crypto market cap is, you know, a trillion dollars and half of that is Bitcoin, that means that half of the potential value of your Bitcoin was swallowed up by these other tokens. And, and, and it's, it's that stupid. It's that simple. And so there's this knee-jerk reaction to reject anything that A, may require or introduce a token, or B, was created outside of the Bitcoin sphere. Um, you know, so they'll reject Ethereum, but they'll also reject anything that was built on Ethereum. And DeFi came from Ethereum, didn't come from Bitcoin. Uh, so, so that's the you know, it, it's just it's not more intelligent than that. Now, it will be explained away in many many different ways, but basically that's what it comes down to. Now, this is crucial. It's a it's a really crucial point. And, 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 and it's sort of a battle for the soul of Bitcoin. And as a result, by extension, a battle for the soul for the world that we are currently engaged in, all of us, in this debate. We have to create a world built on Bitcoin. We have to create a world built on Bitcoin because money only becomes money if there's an economy associated with it. Now, if you look at Bitcoin, Bitcoin doesn't move. And, you know, every day if you go into Twitter, you'll see someone tweeting very, very proud about how, you know, the, number, the, the percentage of Bitcoin that hasn't moved in a year has gone up. This is not a purely good story, right? Uh, when people started donating money to Ukraine, more ETH was donated than Bitcoin, despite the fact that ETH has lower total market value. When companies are using crypto to get around, uh, um, you know, capital control. They're using stable coins. They're not using Bitcoin. When you go to the dark markets, people are using Monero. They're not using Bitcoin. Bitcoin is this inert asset that 
frankly, rich people, uh, and, and by that I mean every American and every European, right, uh, uh, have and are holding like little uh, dragons sitting on their stash hoping to get rich. It's, you know, it's, it's gremlin money. We need to build an economy around Bitcoin. And so if you look at Monero, it's managed to build this privacy dark market economy around it. If you look at Ethereum, it's got this uh, DeFi, NFT, and, and, and research economy that has grown around it. The, the challenge and the struggle that we will have with Bitcoin is can we build an economy around Bitcoin? And in particular, can we build an economy around the principles of Bitcoin, right? Uh, around transparency, borderlessness, uncensorable, permissionless, decentralized economy. Uh, right now, the economy that we're building around Bitcoin is in the eyes of Michael Saylor uh, and BlackRock, an institutional and institutionally captured uh, economy. And in the eyes of um, Bukele, uh, a, a state-captured economy. Neither of those are in line with what we would, or at least what I would like to see Bitcoin bring to the world. And I don't think either of those are an innovation in any way. Uh, so I think we really need to rediscover a path forward. And to discover that path forward, we actively need to reject the Bitcoin-only crowd. Bitcoin... Uh, will succeed best when Bitcoin is part of an economy, not when it is the entire economy. When you know, when it, when an asset becomes you know the entire economy, you're you're looking at like a like a Soviet economy, <laughs> and there's nothing being produced, uh, and everything is controlled via one mechanism. That isn't that is not a good idea. Got it. Okay, that's a fantastic answer. Yeah, I think that one of the things I've seen is it it seems like at base. Like you said, one of the big fears is that it hurts my number go up. And so it's kind of like a... a, a no, it doesn't. It feels like it does. Like, you know, think how many people came into crypto via Ethereum or via... What was that, you know, Philippine, you know, game? <laughs> I forget. Oh, uh, Axie Infinity. Axie Infinity. How many people yep. came into... Yeah, and then right. some of them discover Bitcoin, right? Uh, but how amazing would it be that if, if they were to come into the Bitcoin economy without even having to discover Bitcoin? Imagine these tokens were traded, right, in the same way that ordinals are, you know, created on the Bitcoin ecosystem, you know, or, you know, the trading was happening on a decentralized exchange like Sovereign or, uh, you know, things were being built on a platform related to Bitcoin like Stacks. <laughs> you know, we don't need people to 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 adopt digital gold most people don't have gold or have never held you know they you know they've never held a gold coin in their life they don't know anyone who has right uh you don't need everyone to hold bitcoin you know naked bitcoin for it to be a significant asset you just need a significant amount of economic activity built around it it makes sense because i've seen stable coins seem like such a big use case like they have tremendous value in certain countries but it's obviously happening on things like Tron or some other chain for the most part. And I, it does seem like some of that is that same kind of BS energy of like Bitcoin only makes it so obviously you can't support stablecoins, even if they have tremendous value for you trying to bring people back to uh, financial freedom and things like that. Um, 
But you said something on a podcast as well where you, it was, and I'm still understanding stable coins. Like I don't fully grasp how useful they are. I've heard some things, never used them. But you said something like Bitcoin is for money preservation and stable coins are for money expansion, I think was the the way you phrased it. And maybe, I, I don't remember, I don't remember that in particular but um but yeah so you know we talk about bitcoin as as digital gold right well what what is digital gold what is gold right in what way is gold related to money it wasn't like you could go back to any time in history and walk through the streets of a of, of a city or a village and you know uh, people were, were were handing around pieces of gold in order to, you know, buy chickens or T-shirts or whatever it is, right? It just didn't happen. No one was walking around with gold coins jingling in their pockets as a daily activity. That's insane. So to the extent that there was a gold standard, usually there were like other coins which could be convertible to Bitcoin, sorry, to gold, right? Like copper uh, or, 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 you know, silver. Or, and this is really when we had like, we, gold standard only existed for a very, very short period of time in, in human history. We talk about it like as if all of history was that way. It was basically, you know, a couple of hundred years. And during that period, people had notes, right? So, you know, the, the US dollar used to say, instead of in God we trust, it used to say convertible for this, for X amount of gold. The British pound right, is called the pound because it was convertible to one pound of silver. So so what happened was you had these funds which were held in vaults by banks and sometimes by governments, but primarily by the free market, by banks. And against them, you had notes that were issued and people would transmit these because it's much more convenient and much easier. But also because it was the ability to modulate how many notes were being created to keep a stable value. Whereas commodity asset, gold, its price would go up and down with the economy and the supply of gold. And if uh, a Spanish ship coming from, you know, Latin America was captured by privateers and the gold stolen or it sunk, the price of gold went up. And, you, you know, so what are you going to do? How are you going to buy your apples with changing prices based on stuff that's happening because of pirates thousands of miles away. Doesn't make sense. Right. So today, the analogy is we have this extremely volatile and interesting asset, which is Bitcoin. And Bitcoin, over the long, you know, view of time, will trend upwards significantly. It's a very, very valuable asset in that respect. But it's like cutting your teeth to try and buy, you know, regular, like, well, I, can't, I can't build an economy on this. I've tried. Look at El Salvador. It's not like people are happily trading Bitcoin back and forth. Today, my food cost me, you know, uh, a million sets. Tomorrow, it's going to cost me 1.2 million sets. And the next day, it's going to be 800,000 sets. How exciting, right? No, that's absurd, right? So instead, people are using... Stablecoins. And right now, the primary stablecoins that they're using are those which are tied to the dollar because it's an asset familiar to pretty much everyone around the world and centralized because that's what we have. But we can do the same thing 
that banks used to do with gold, which is issue notes against the reserves of gold, which are more convenient to trans to transact with, uh, and, and and clearly more stable. And so that is what Bitcoin-backed stablecoins are. It's basically the first real use case of Bitcoin as digital gold, as a reserve asset. Against this reserve asset, stablecoins, which can be denominated to the US dollar, but are backed and redeemable by gold, and therefore as decentralized, as uh, you know, as censorship resistant as Bitcoin, allows people to start having commerce in a stable, familiar asset, right? Which can't just be stolen or rug pulled or disappeared or regulated away from them. So, in the early years, we used to tell people, look, everyone should have you know one to five percent of their value in Bitcoin because you know. It's schmuck insurance. Today, I think we could start saying to people, everyone should have one to five percent of their, you know, dollar denominated assets, sort of your rainy day fund, right? Enough money to survive for three months in a Bitcoin backed stablecoin. Because that way you know, you know, if you've got fifteen thousand dollars in savings, it's not going to be disappeared from you. It's not like the bank can take it away from you. So maybe you have some money in the bank as well, but you should have some amount in a form of money, which is 100% yours. And, and, and Bitcoin-backed stablecoins are the only form of money you can truly own. Man, I'm, uh, I'm fired up right now. I'm, I'm loving the, the energy and passion coming through right here. I'm, uh, yeah, this is, this is excellent. I, I have a bunch of questions. Trying to be, be wary of time. But I guess the first one is... Actually, maybe we can start with what you guys have actually built, and maybe I can like probe around on some edge cases or how it actually works. So, with with uh, Sovereign Zero and Dollar, which you guys have recently launched in the past few months, um, can you just let, lay out like the spiel of like I have Bitcoin, I want to do what you just said and like move it into some percentage of stable coins. Uh, what have you guys built, and how does this work? Sure. So maybe I should say who us guys is right. Uh, so a little bit of context. There's a community of developers, Bitcoin developers, uh, and sort of people who are engaged who aren't developers, people who are engaged, you know, in using the system or participating or writing about the system. But it's basically an open source project called Sovereign. And Sovereign uh, is has the long-term goal of building a world in Bitcoin. And we started out by building out the first layer of, of financial tools which are Bitcoin native and which uh, allow you to be a sovereign individual as you're using your Bitcoin. And it's become the, by far, uh, fastest growing and biggest ecosystem of uh, DeFi or smart contract based uh, systems for Bitcoin. Now, uh, so if anyone's interested, that's Sovereign, S-O-V-R-Y-N, you can Google it, you'll find it very easy. Uh, so one of the things that Sovereign have built, right? So Sovereigns have built this uh, thing called the Sovereign Dollar, right? And it's not a mistake that it's called Sovereign. <laughs> it's quite clear what we're trying to do here. And it's the Sovereign Dollar because it's the only Sovereign Dollar, right? It's not the Fed Dollar. It's not the, uh, you know, Tether Dollar. It's not the Euro Dollar. It's the Sovereign Dollar. And what is the Sovereign Dollar? The Sovereign Dollar is a Bitcoin-backed stablecoin 
which uh, allows different methods, right? There are different, there are different sort of sub stable coins out there, like ZUSD, which is created by the Zero Protocol, and DOC, which is created by the Money on Chain Protocol. And basically, they're all aggregated by the sovereign mint, right? And they create the sovereign dollar. And so the sovereign dollar is like the Bitcoin back stable. And uh, there's two cool things that you can do with the sovereign dollar, right? Like, I mean, you the, ultimately the goal is for you to be able to do everything, but like on the base level, like from first principles, one is it's a form of stable asset that you can hold. Uh, if you're a corporate treasury, we just, you know, and now I've started to see companies, you know, Exodus or a publicly traded company in the U.S. have added the sovereign dollar to the treasury. So they'll always have access to funds so that they can pay salaries. And individuals can do the same thing. Always make sure that there's some money. You know, they know exactly what its value is at all times. It's not like Bitcoin. Uh, and that's sort of like their rainy day fund. And then the other thing is, uh, if you have Bitcoin, selling it is the worst idea because it really is an asset which is going to appreciate. But just sitting on it is a ridiculous idea as well because uh, you know we're, we, you can't eat bitcoins, right? And we're, we're not dragons. We can't just sit on our pile of, of bitcoin and, and, and survive forever, right? And so people are drawn to this place where they need to realize the value that they're appreciating or that they're, they're generating by holding bitcoin. And in Sovereign, you can borrow against your Bitcoin. Uh, uh, there's two kinds of ways of doing this. You can borrow against it by paying interest. And these you know, the interest rates can be quite low. So you can borrow like at a 3% interest rate. Get like really cheap loans on your Bitcoin. And again, decentralized, right? So it's not like you're, 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 you're putting up your Bitcoin as collateral, but not to any intermediary, to a protocol which uh, it, it, um, has no middleman and is permissionless and censorship resistant, or there's the zero protocol, which has become very popular, which allows you to pay an origination fee. Right now that's 5% and never pay interest. And you can hold that loan forever, right? So if your Bitcoin appreciates for years and years and years, you get to capture basically all of that upside. Um, and at the same time, you can get, you know, do everything from buying groceries to buying a house. Um, and that's the power of Bitcoin-backed stablecoins, right? It's the ability on the one hand to have, you know, dollars, the only type of dollars except for dollar bills that you can truly own. So it's like basically a digital dollar bill and it's the ability to never have to sell Bitcoin again. And I think one of the cool things about what Sovereign is building is it's basically a black hole for Bitcoin. Bitcoin goes in, right? People borrow stablecoins, Bitcoin never goes out, it is never sold. I love it. Uh... And that's also interesting, the, the two ways to borrow interest or the upfront fee, and you guys done the upfront fee style. How, when I first saw some of the, the marketing videos for the zero to slow, I was like, this sounds crazy. When, in crypto, when it sounds too good to be true, the yields sound too juicy, it's probably too juicy. Um, it's not about gut reaction. And so how how does the zero interest, like if you have a, the, the concern I hear often is that the underlying asset's super volatile. So how do you keep the peg? And so I think that that's so the first keeping the question. peg is very easy. Keeping the peg is very easy. Um, if people want to redeem, they can always redeem for a dollar's worth of Bitcoin. 
And if your collateral becomes too low, your Bitcoin position, your line of credit gets sold. But in a way, zero is too good to be true. You have to be careful with zero because it's such a good deal that potentially everyone wants to use it. And if everyone wants to use it, and this is something that we've been encountering now, right? Uh, then you go and you borrow, uh, you, you know, sovereign dollars, and then you sell those sovereign dollars, and there needs to be someone buying those sovereign dollars, or there's going to be someone buying those sovereign dollars and redeeming. And if people redeem constantly, then the line of credit, you haven't lost money, right? Uh, but... Uh, you, you you may find yourself sort of your your debt getting cancelled, but your Bitcoin being provided to people who who are redeeming. And so, one of the you know it started off with the origination fee being quite low. Uh, I um, I think the first origination fee was zero point five percent, and now it's five percent. And and one of the reasons that it's so high is because we're actually trying to discourage the use uh, of zero right now. It's permissionless, and you'll always be able to continue to use it. But, um, but you know, the, the 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 origination fee has been increasing with demand, because we need to reach an equilibrium where the amount of sovereign dollars that are being created are roughly equivalent to the amount of sovereign dollars that people are are looking to hold. Um, so you know, there's no free lunch. Um, but as we are starting now to see more and more demand. Or sovereign dollars. I expect that in the coming months we'll start to see it become easier to use zero as well. Uh, and and in terms of the actual system, it's long term sound. Like it makes like there, there's no there's no uh, magic here, right? It's just uh, simple economics. Uh, there's there's a very valuable asset, and you can borrow against it. That's all that's happening here. Got it. Uh... Okay, so the the origination fee is one lever you can pull to adjust depending on the supply and demand uh, dynamics. Is 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 it over collateralized, and is that one other aspect that you can adjust accordingly? We do not adjust the over collateralization. Uh, everyone chooses their own collateralization ratio. You have to start with a minimum collateralization ratio of one hundred and fifty percent. In other words, if you borrow one hundred dollars, you need to have one hundred and fifty dollars of Bitcoin. But you can maintain a collateralization ratio as low as 110%, right? You just need to have enough buffer that even if there was a sharp drop, you would still be over collateralized or be in a position for the system to liquidate you. In practice right now, collateralization ratios are very high. Uh, they're close to 300%. Uh, and that is in part because of the size, supply and demand issue we discussed with sovereign dollars and zero. Uh, so we've seen the collateralization ratios fluctuate somewhere between around a minimum of around, like in aggregate, 180% and today about 300%. And then the last question that I have on this topic before we start to close it down is um, I've used some ecosystems where they have an interesting token, stablecoin or something, and because it's so new, the ability to use it is very small. You know, applications don't support it. And so most of the way you use it is you get into it and then you get back into another token like USDC or something 
and then you can yeah. go do whatever you want. What, what's the current state of that with the dollar? Yes, yeah, so the sovereign dollar is kind of there. Um, it's got more use cases than nothing, right? You can use it as collateral for other types of borrowing or margin trades. You can trade with it. Um, we're starting to see it uh, getting adoption as a corporate treasury asset. Some people are holding it as a savings asset. Uh, people are using it for um, arbitrage trades. Um, we are going to need to build, <laughs> and this is my sort of like my the, the theme of our conversation. We have to build an economy. We have to build an ecosystem. We have to build a world around Bitcoin, and we have to build a world around Bitcoin-backed stablecoins. And that's the challenge, right? Um, and so. Um, you know, the way we do that is in incremental steps and um, and by supporting the people who are building uh, those kinds of products uh, in the Bitcoin world. Well said. Okay, I've got one last question, kind of shifting topics slightly, um, but speaking on building and adoption. And it's this idea... The more time I'm here, I talk to builders, the more I get disenchanted somewhat with HODL culture. I'm, it's, not, it's not my favorite anymore. I think it's necessary, but insufficient for a lot of things. And so I'm, I'm curious your take on like HODL culture and, and maybe bracket it against things like spend and replace when it comes to the person who wants to help adoption. They are a Bitcoiner, but they're not a builder, like a dev. What's your stance on that? I... I'm a hodler, and I think that hodling makes sense. I think hodl culture, I don't know what culture is, right? But like culture that, 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 that is focused on hodling is probably a very sick culture. Mm. Uh, we can't build uh, anything of value on an inert asset. But the fact that people would like to and are holding Bitcoin for long periods of time is very good and makes a lot of sense. You know, I think every single generation, uh, if they make one right decision, it's sort of like one collectively right decision that you make and you're set for life. Our grandparents, that decision was going to university or going to college, right? You got a college degree, you were going to be, you know, well paid. There was no two questions about it. Well, our parents' generation was buying real estate. Right? If you bought a house, it was cheap. Today, you're very wealthy because you're sitting on significant property. For our generation, it's very simple. Just buy Bitcoin, right? Whatever other stupid mistakes you make in life, right? Uh, you cheated on your wife. You became an alcoholic. You developed a gambling addiction. If you just sit on the Bitcoin, you're, you and your children will be fine. Um, so, so that's the one important decision. Now, what we need to do is we need to build things which provide even better alternatives. So, for example, the ability to borrow against your Bitcoin. That's an important tool. The ability to trade with your Bitcoin. That's an important tool. The ability to take your Bitcoin and invest in new things, which where you can earn a Bitcoin-denominated return. That's really important. That's where we really start getting interesting. One of the cool things about sovereigns, and, you know, we hardly hear people talk about it, uh, in part because, you know, everyone who knows wants to keep the information to themselves. Uh, 
Sovereign has a, a token which you can stake to become a stakeholder in the system. This token pays you in Bitcoin. And right now it's paying a return made from the protocol, right? This is not sort of printing tokens out of thin air. It, it, it makes a return from transaction fees and things like that in the protocol and is paying up to 28% uh, APR annualized in Bitcoin. It has been doing so consistently for months, right? Not always 28%, but for the last close to a year, it's been paying well above 12%. Um, so I don't know, but I think this might be the first example of a decentralized business which makes people money in BTC-denominated terms. And that is really exciting. And I and I hope to see more people engaging with Sovereign, but also more people sort of taking this model and building their own kind of thing. Love it. Love it. I got to watch back this last couple of minutes because you definitely put words to something that I've felt, but you put it more eloquently than I've ever thought about. So, so that's, uh, I love that. That's that's all the questions I have. Any any closing thoughts or things that I didn't ask that you wanna you wanna speak on? I would say the following. Um, I think that there's a hierarchy of things that people should do. Right. The first is they should get themselves some Bitcoin. The second is making sure that that Bitcoin is not held by a middleman, but held by themselves. Once you've done those two things, right, you're well along your way. And then I think it starts to make sense to think about a hierarchy of things that you should have. One, Bitcoin, self-custody, that is your long-term investment. Two, Bitcoin-backed stable coins, you know, three months of uh, your, you know, base necessity expenditure, that's your rainy day fund. And then some amount, which will depend on your risk appetite, uh, where you're uh, putting your money to work. And, and, and with the express knowledge that the first few things that you do and the first few months that you do it, you're going to lose money. All of it's going to go. It's going to disappear. It's going to go to zero. And you're actually paying for an education in how to invest, which is going to... Uh, 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 stand you in good stead. And and I think that we're now starting to see the first real opportunities to take that time, which is the biggest investment you'll be making rather than the money, right? to take that time, to take that Bitcoin and invest that in learning to, you know, finding opportunities in the Bitcoin space, in Sovereign, in Stacks, in Rootstock, etc. And in so doing, you're going to be one of the pioneers who's helping to build this world on Bitcoin. You're going to be, as a result, one of the people who not only helps create it, but benefits from it most. And you'll become an expert in something which, if we're right, is going to be the way that all money and all finance will ultimately be managed 10, 20, 25 years from now. So those are my closing words, right? Hold Bitcoin, hold some stable coins, and take a little bit of Bitcoin and experiment to learn how to live in the economy of the future. Fantastic. Yeah, I think I think we need to get a diagram made of like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, but it's like 
Yago or Satoshi's Bitcoin hierarchy of needs because that, that, that's a great ascending triangle. That, I like that a lot. This has been a fantastic chat. Thank you so much. Uh, for the people who are listening to this, they're loving what they're hearing, where can they learn more about Sovereign, maybe take a loan or uh, track you down to learn more? Uh, yeah, you can just go to uh, uh, so- Sovereign, so S-O-V-R-Y-N.com or Sovereign, S-O-V-R-Y-N.app. Or you can, you know, follow Sovereign on Twitter, Sovereign BTC. And everything will be linked in the show notes below. Or huge. Yago, thank you so much for taking the time. This has been a, a great conversation. Awesome. Uh, I enjoyed it a lot as well. Thank you. Thank you for listening this far into the episode. If you found it enjoyable, please do like, subscribe on whatever platform that you're Listening on YouTube does me a huge favor to like and subscribe. Find me on Twitter at Jake Blockchain. Show me some love. I reply to every DM. And if you are a Bitcoin builder that is kind of at the forefront of building new use cases, whether it's L1, Lightning, Stacks, Rootstock, Rollups, Ordinals, BRC20, uh, I want to talk to you. So when I'm not doing this podcast, I am the sourcing partner at the Bitcoin Frontier Fund, where we invest in Bitcoin startups at the earliest stages, give you access to whatever you need, whether it's legal, product, fundraising help, as well as capital. So let me talk to you. You can hit me up again. Find me on Twitter at Jake Blockchain and uh, shoot me a DM. Uh, I'll read everything. Love to talk to you guys. All right. Peace. Welcome to Built on Bitcoin. I know that things don't always go your way, but I'll be right here waiting. I've been waiting out, I've been trying to figure out a way to make it out. Make it out, cause I don't think about everything going wrong.